My name is Teresa Breeding. If you haven't met me yet, I'm the women's ministry director and one of the teaching pastors here at Grace. This morning, I get the privilege of kicking off our new series in 1 Kings called Passing the Mantle. And a mantle is a robe. And uh, kings wore robes, prophets wore robes, and it was a symbol of their authority and their leadership. And they would pass these robes on to the next. And so today we're going to see the passing of the mantle or the passing of the authority or the kingship from uh, King David to Solomon. And we're going to see that mantle pass several times in the book of 1 Kings. We're also going to see the mantle uh, pass from Elijah the prophet to Elisha the prophet in the book of 1 Kings. And so we got a, we got a lot coming up. In First Kings, uh, the book of First Kings is actually a continuation of First and Second Samuel. It's just a continuation of those books. Um, the we don't really know who wrote First Kings. Most scholars think that it was probably the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, it doesn't really matter that much because we know that all of God's word is inspired by God. It's all God breathed, and so really, it's by God. The whole book. Um, and we know that every piece of history that is in the Bible that God placed there intentionally for us to learn about and to learn from. And so that's what we're going to be doing through this chapter. So here in 1 Kings, we will start to see the disunity of the Israelite people. We will start to see that the kingdoms divided up. They'll divide into the northern and southern kingdoms of Judah and Israel. Later on, uh, we will see the demise of their kingdoms. They'll actually be taken into captivity by the Babylonians. So there is a lot of interesting stuff coming up in these chapters. I hope that you're going to come and and learn God's word with us. Uh, Now that school's back in session and we're all getting back into a routine again, I hope you'll make this part of your routine. So come here every Sunday and hear God's word. Uh, We grow closer to God through God's word. So as we begin this new book, I think it's a good time to reflect on where we are at in the Bible overall. So I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis. (laughs) Don't freak out, this is not a super long sermon. I'm going to go all the way back to Genesis because remember... In Genesis, God told Abraham that he would be the father of many nations, right? And then he had a son named Isaac who had a son named Jacob. That's why we hear God referred to as the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, Jacob, later his name was changed to Israel, and he had 12 sons, and those 12 sons and their families represented the 12 tribes of Israel, what we have come to know as the Israelite people or the Israelite nation. And as we've been studying through the Bible, we have followed the Israelites. We followed them through their 430 years of captivity in Egypt, of slavery in Egypt. And we followed them through their 40 years of wandering in the wilderness until they finally entered into the promised land. And in the promised land, God was their king, And he gave them judges and prophets to help guide and lead them and direct them. But they decided that they wanted their own king. They wanted a real king. They wanted a flesh and blood king. And so God gave them King Saul. And then King Saul, when that didn't go so well. And so then he gave them David, 
who he had intended all along to be their king. David was a young shepherd boy when he was anointed as king, and then he took over the kingship when he was 30 years old. And uh, he has had ups and downs. He's had his sins and his temptations. But we see all through David's life that he ultimately was always a man after God's own heart. Even through his failures, he was a man after God's own heart. And so that brings us to where we are today. David is king, but he is nearing the end of his reign. He is 70 years old. And we know that because 2 Samuel 5, 4 tells us that David became king when he was 30 years old and that he reigned for 40 years. And so he's coming to the end of his reign because he's old. Is anybody offended by that? <laughs> Boo! I know, I read it and was like, 70, that's not that old, you know? I mean, we got 70-year-olds in here that can outrun and outwork 40-year-olds in here. So I'm thinking, that's not that old. And especially considering some of the people that we've studied, you know, Moses, you know, and Abraham. Abraham hadn't even had his first kid when he was 70. So imagine that. But David, it says that he's old, but he's 70 years old. But I, I have to think about it. That this just proves that age is just a number. Right, Because David lived a hard life. He was a warrior, which was hard on his body. He was a king, which was very stressful, hard on his mind. Not to mention all those wives and all those concubines and all those kids. He was old. He'd lived a hard, hard life. He was old. So let's look at what happens to David as he gets old. We're going to look at 1 Kings. Chapter 1, verse 1. And like I said, I'm going to be reading out of the ESV today. If you have your Bibles, you can open them with me. Or your journals, you can open them with me. Or it will also be up here on the screen. Verse 1, it says, Now King David was old, I told you it said it, and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king. And let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him. But the king knew her not. Now seriously, <laughs> they... They, he was cold, so they brought him a young little girl <laughs> to lay beside him and keep him warm. And I had to think to myself, this is a man's solution to a health problem, <laughs> right? I mean, really? Like, I just, I don't know about this. And, and guys, before you get any ideas, <laughs> and you're like, well, the Bible says... <laughs> If I'm cold and I feel a little chill, <laughs> no, 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 that is not going to work. Uh -uh. This is Old Testament. They didn't have electric blankets. They didn't have central heat and air. They didn't have heaters. You know, this was their culture. This was their solution, apparently, and it was accepted in their society. I don't get it. I mean, I do. I get the concept. I get the concept because even in Ecclesiastes, there's a, you know, there's a verse about if two lie together, they'll keep each other warm. But if one's alone, then, you know, how are they going to stay warm? They're going to freeze to death, I guess. But, you know, 
I'm just thinking, if he's really that cold, he needs a real woman. He needs a woman with some meat on her bones. You know? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. He needs a big woman because, guys, a big woman can keep you warm in the winter and shade you in the summer. There is value in that. <laughs> there is value. He, what he really needed was a menopausal woman. She'd keep him warm. All those hot flashes. But, uh, but no, this, this was a man's solution to the problem. So, the, but the point here, the point here is that David ha- has grown old. He can't, he can't keep warm. He's probably not doing very good at his kingly duties. And his son, Adonijah, sees this as his opportunity to steal the throne, to take the throne. So it says, now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. So you've heard the saying, dress for success. You know, dress for the job that you want, not necessarily the job that you have. That's what Adonijah is doing here. He's, he's, he's dressing for success. He's putting on all appearance that he is the king, even though no one has made him king. No one has told him that he is the king. He's making it look like he is king. And so he's, he's doing his very best. He's doing a pretty good job because he has all of these people running before him. But I think that we all know that you can't go against God and win. And that's what he's doing here is he's going against God. He's going against David. He's going against the plan of God because God intended for Solomon to be the king. So the question becomes, why did he think that he could do this? Why did he think that he could just make himself king? Well, there's several reasons. First of all, David, his father, had never told him no. Had never disciplined him. Had never, you know, he had never not gotten his way in life. And so that was a big part of the problem. And so we see here, it says his father had never at any time displeased him by asking, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. And so, you know, I can't really criticize David for this because we don't, we don't want to displease our children, do we? We want our children to like us. We don't want to be the bad guy all the time. So it's hard to say no to our children, especially when they really want something, and especially when they're really cute. Like Adonijah was good looking, it says. He's really cute. It's like I look at some of these kids around here, and I'm just like, how does anybody ever tell that child no? Yeah. It's like if y'all have looked at Shepherd, if you've looked at little Eli, how are you going to tell these kids no? They look at you with those big eyes. You can't tell those kids no. So I kind of get it. You know, but you can't always be your child's best friend. Sometimes you have to discipline them, right? Because our goal in life, our goal as parents, is, is not to, to raise children that always get their own way, not to raise children who are selfish and self-centered. It's to raise children who love God, who are productive members of a society, who are mature adults. That is our goal as parents. And, and God is showing us through this chapter, he's giving us this example that if you always give a child what they want, if you never discipline them, it's not going to go well. It's not going to go well. 
if all they have to do is throw a little temper tantrum to get their way, you know, that, doesn't, that doesn't translate well into adults because people don't put up with that as much with adults. And undisciplined children turn into undisciplined adults. Another reason that he thought he could do this was because it says, and he was born after Absalom. So Absalom just died a few chapters ago. Um, if you remember, David had this, Adonijah is, is David's fourth son. And so he had three sons before him, but they all died. Remember, uh, Amnon died because Absalom killed him. Absalom died because Joab killed him. And so now here we have Abs- Adonijah, who is the fourth son, but he's the only, or he's the oldest living son of David. And so he kind of has a right to think that he's probably going to inherit the throne as the oldest living son. But in this case, he's not. He's not in this case because he's got a lot of things going for him except one, and that's that it's not God's plan. You know, you can have a lot of things going your way in life, but if you're not going God's way, it's not going to work out. And so it's not going to work out for Adonijah. He's going to have to find that out the hard way. And so let's look at verse 7. It says, He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Beniah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Reah, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Beniah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. So he invited all of these people to his party, but he didn't invite the main people in David's administration. He did not invite the people who he knew would put a stop to this, who he knew would not let him take over the kingship, who he knew would tell him he was doing wrong. He intentionally did not invite them. So he knew this wasn't a misunderstanding. This wasn't a, a thought that maybe he was supposed to be the next king. No, he knew better. He knew better. Verse 11. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So he's saying, he's basically giving Bathsheba a script. You go in and say this, and then I'll come in and I'll confirm what you said. And so she does that. It says, so Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. You know, a little electric blanket. (laughs) Awkward. Bathsheba, his wife, bowed down and paid homage to the king. And the king said, what do you desire? She said to him, my lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king, although you, the lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, 
and Joab, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, has not been invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of Israel are all on you. Tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise, it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. So she's saying, David, you got to get up. You got to make an announcement. You have got to tell everybody that Solomon is the next king. Because otherwise, they're going to believe that it's Adonijah, and Adonijah's going to take the throne. And when Adonijah takes the throne, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill Solomon. Because that's what kings would do. They would kill anyone who was a threat to their throne. And so she's saying, David, you've got to get up. You've got to do something. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord, the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him, and saying, Long live King Adonijah. Because see, the people, they don't know. They don't actually know what's going on. They, they obviously know that David is getting old, that someone's going to have to replace him as king, that Adonijah is his oldest son. So, you know, it's not unusual that they would assume that this is right. They have no reason to believe that Adonijah wouldn't be the king or that he would be misleading them. And he made all these sacrifices to God to make it look like it was official. But he can make all the sacrifices he wants but sealing an action with a religious ceremony does not make it God's will. Sealing an action with a, with a religious ceremony does not make it God's will. An alcoholic can drink wine and call it communion, but he's not fooling anybody, right? It's not God's will. I can go to the fair and I can, I can pray for God to bless my funnel cake and my cotton candy to the nourishment of my body. But I ain't fooling nobody. Now, my Frito Bandito, I might could get away with because it's like lettuce and tomato. It's practically a salad on top. I mean, I might could get away with that. But seriously, in our society today, probably the most prominent example that I could give you of this is a man marrying a man or a woman marrying a woman in a church with a pastor. It's happening. It's happening in our world. But sealing an action with a religious ceremony does not make it God's will. It doesn't. And, and, and he's going to learn that. He's going to learn that real quick. But he's made all these sacrifices. He's trying. He's making an effort to fool everybody. He can't fool God, right? He can't fool God. And I can't turn my page. Okay. <laughs> uh, but he... He knows that he's not to be king. Otherwise, he would have waited for someone else to exalt him as king, for David to exalt him as king. And it's just like Jesus said over in the New Testament. He said, those who, who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And that's exactly what's going to happen to Adonijah. We're going to see that play out. Look at verse 26. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. 
Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who, who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my Lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gihon. So mules were prized animals, only owned by the wealthy and the prominent. And so for for Solomon to ride in on the king's mule was saying that he is going to take the throne. And so that was a big statement in itself. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord the king, say so. And the Lord has been with my... And the Lord, as the Lord has been with my Lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of, the, of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? While he was speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. And Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our lord King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and Perethites. And they had him ride in on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone up from there rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours. Make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed, and the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way. And Adonijah feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. So David made this announcement that Solomon would be king. And and as Adonijah is having his party celebrating, you know, he made his own little coronation party. And he's celebrating and then he hears 
all that's going on in Solomon's party as they're celebrating Solomon. And then somebody comes in and says, King David has made Solomon the next king, not you, Adonijah. And the people are like, oh, we're at the wrong party. (laughs) So they all leave, you know. Because uh, <laughs> I love that part. It says, Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went on his own way. They trembled because they realized they were acting on fake news. <laughs> they were at the wrong party. And now the party's over, Adonijah. And you're not the king. And, and, and the music has stopped, and the people have left, and he's sitting there, and he's realizing he's in big trouble. He's in big trouble. And so he gets scared. He realizes he's busted. He gets scared and he takes off and he runs to the altar at the tabernacle. Remember, the, the altar was right inside the, ta- right inside the tabernacle, right inside the gate. And it's where the, the, the offerings were sacrificed. It's where forgiveness and mercy were found. And it, there was an altar And on each corner of the altar, there was a horn on all four corners. And so he went and he grabbed hold of these horns, basically begging for mercy. Begging for mercy and grace from from, uh, his brother. And it says then in verse 51... It says, then it was told Solomon, behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon. For behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. So notice that he calls him king. He's already calling him king. Moments after he's been announced as king, Adonijah calls him king because he knew. He knew all along it was Solomon. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. So the first thing that King Solomon did as king was to grant his brother mercy was to grant his brother mercy. And so he, he tells him, you know, in other words, if you will demonstrate your loyalty to me, if you will demonstrate that you are willing to follow my kingship, my leadership, then your life will be spared. So go home, behave yourself. You know, he's basically on probation. He gives him a little ankle bracelet and a GPS. Not exactly, but, you know, they are going to be watching him very closely to see where his loyalty lies. And if his loyalty does not lie with the king, then you'll see what happens to him in chapter 2 next week. But two things that we can take away from this passage today is, number one, your sin will find you out. Your sin will find you out. God sees everything. Even if you don't get busted in this world, on this earth, if you don't get caught, God still sees everything. He's he's all-knowing. The big church word for that is omniscient. Omniscient. God is all-knowing. He is omniscient. He sees everything, hears everything, knows everything, all at the same time. Even our thoughts 
All the people in the whole world, he knows all of our thoughts and everything that we're doing and everything that we're saying and everything that we're planning all at the exact same time. How does he do that? I do not know. I don't know. It's because he's God. It's like Pastor Dennis always says, if, if, if I could understand God, if he is small enough for me, for my mind to understand completely, then he's not big enough for me to worship. He's not big enough to be my God. But he is. He's God. And he's omniscient. He knows everything. Your sin will find you out. Number two, Jesus is our refuge. Jesus is our refuge. Adonijah runs to the altar for forgiveness and salvation, for safety from the penalty of his sins. Because the altar was a place of death. It's where people would go to take their animals, their their perfect spotless animals, their perfect spotless lambs, they would take to this altar and they would symbolically place their sins on that animal. And that animal's life, that animal's blood would be shed for the forgiveness of their sins. And that's where Adonijah went for grace and for mercy. Today... Romans 6.23 tells us, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. We don't have to sacrifice animals anymore to pay for our sin because Jesus Christ went to that cross for us. And he paid the penalty. He shed his own blood for our sins, past, present, and future. They're all covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we don't have to do that anymore. And The only thing that we have to do to receive that forgiveness and that mercy, the only thing that we have to do is follow him. See, like Adonijah was guilty of treason, and the penalty of treason was death. But he was pardoned from that death. All he had to do was ask for forgiveness and commit his loyalty to following the king. And that's all that you have to do today. You may be here today and you've never submitted to the authority, to the the kingship of Jesus Christ in your life. And I want you to know that if that's you this morning, that all you have to do is ask him for that forgiveness. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, that forgiveness and that mercy is available to you, to you. And all you have to do is ask for it and cling to that today. And I know there are people in this room that need to do that. Maybe people watching online that need to do that. But I also know that there are people in this room, probably more, that fall into the second category. Like Adonijah. Because Adonijah was a man who messed up. He messed up just like we all have. And he went to the altar and he begged for mercy and he was granted mercy by the king. The question becomes, was he sincere? That's the question that's being asked at the end of this chapter. Was he sincere? Or did he only say what he needed to say to avoid death? And so I ask you this morning, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, were you sincere? 
Or did you only say what you needed to say to avoid hell? Because when I was a little girl, I went to a hellfire and damnation service and I heard a sermon that scared me to death. And I ran to the altar and I got saved. And I'll never forget when I went home that day, my mom called me in her room because she wanted to talk to me about it. She wanted to make sure that I understood what was happening. And she asked me why I went up, why I went forward. What, what prompted me to go forward that morning. And I said, because I don't want to go to hell. And I mean, that's not a bad reason, but that was my only reason. And it wasn't long after that that I stopped going to church. And, and I didn't live my life for God. I didn't follow God. You know, I believed in God, but I didn't follow God. It's two different things. Even Satan and his demons believe in God, but they don't follow him. It's two different things. And I, that I believe, but I didn't follow. I prayed sometimes, you know, when things went wrong, when I had a problem. It's like that new song. Have y'all heard that new song that's out? I only talk to God when I need a favor. Jelly Roll. <laughs> It's like number one on the hits, I think. He, he's not actually a Christian, though. I think he's headed in that direction. Uh, he was motivated to write the song after his daughter became a Christian. So I, I think he's headed in that direction. But, but the lyrics, it says, I only talk to God when I need a favor. And I only pray when I ain't got a prayer. So who am I to expect a savior if I only talk to God when I need a favor? But God, I need a favor. That was me. Maybe that's you. You know, when, when you got saved, maybe it was that you needed a favor. Maybe it was that you needed to answer prayer. Maybe you just wanted to be grouped into this category of people that were going to get to go to heaven. But you didn't sincerely decide to follow the king and put your loyalty in him. How do you know that? By looking at your life. You know, if you were an outsider looking in at your life, would you be like, now there is a man that follows God. Or there is a woman that follows God. Or would you wonder? Or would you be confused? And I know, I know it's by grace that we are saved not by works. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. You do not have to earn that gift. But, but that gift and our Savior, the love of our Savior and what He did for us should compel us to do good works. It should compel us to live our lives for Him. Not that it's required, but that it's a side effect of loving God. If you are a truly a follower of God, if He is truly the Lord of your life, then, then the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of a holy God living inside of you, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, should be evident in your life. 
And if it's not, and I'm not saying perfect. I'm not saying you'll be perfect. You won't be perfect. We, we strive for that, but we cling to the cross when we're not perfect. But if you're not striving for that, if these things are not evident in your life, if you've gotten sidetracked somewhere, then I encourage you to cling to this altar. To turn your life back over to Him. To accept His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. And get up and live for Him. He has so much planned for you. He's calling you. He's calling you to a higher standard. He's calling you to step it up and live for Him. No, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor the, the, the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for the people who love Him. He's calling you to step it up, to step it up today. Take yourself off the throne. Stop exalting yourself and your wants and your desires. Put Jesus Christ back on the throne where he deserves to be. And do it today. Do it today. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the examples in your word, the, the good and the bad. Lord, we learn just as much from the bad as we do from the good. God, I pray that you will instill in us a desire to serve you with excellence, to serve you at a higher level than we ever have before. That when we talk to people, that when we are just around people that they sense you that they feel your presence Lord that we may be known as people after your own heart men and women after God's own heart Lord may your fruit of the spirit be evident in our lives may we be your hands and feet live through us God love through us we are yours Forgive us for the times that we fail. Restore us to you. We love you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name.